0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show.
1: Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot.
0: The AccuNet Mortgage is Talk- and text line is open now give jeff a call at 855-616-1620 coming up next swirl and now wtmj's jeff wagner
1: good afternoon wisconsin welcome to the show so glad to have you with us the milwaukee bucks play the charlotte hornets in france so they are in france our coverage starts at 1 30 the game tips off at two o'clock first NBA regular season game. Heck, it might be the first NBA game played in, in France, but it's definitely the first um, regular season game. Very, very exciting that the NBA decides to use the Milwaukee Bucks as one of their, uh, actually their, their showcase entities as they try to expand the brand uh, internationally. It'll be very cool and you can hear the game here. Again, the tip-off starts at 2 o'clock. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Before that, the impeachment trial of President Trump continues. The Democrats, the House managers who have brought the impeachment proceedings, uh, today is probably, it will be their last day of presenting arguments and introductory statements and things of the like. It will wrap up sometime this evening and the President's defense team will start on Saturday. The President is complaining about it. We'll get a To talking about that in just a little bit, but I want to start off with a story that's starting to get national attention, and it's one of these that I don't know that there's an easy answer to, but I'm curious as to how you react. There is a high school in Texas has a lengthy student handbook, um, and they have a number of rules with regard to dressing and grooming right they have a policy on male hairstyles here's what the policy says male students hair will not extend at any time below the eyebrows or below the earlobes male students hair must not extend below the top of a t-shirt collar or be gathered or worn in a style that would allow the hair to extend below the top of a T-shirt collar or below the eyebrows or below the earlobes when let down. So, in other words, it, it regulates how long your hair can be. And what it says in the policy is that you you can't you're not allowed to put it up. It's not like, OK, if you've got shoulder length hair or hair down your back, you, you can't avoid the policy by simply bundling it and wearing it a bun. That's what the dress code policy says. Well, enter. A, a young man who is a senior he is from trinidad his family is from trinidad and he wears his hair as a style in the dreadlock style you know the like the the long the long dreadlocks he's always apparently had dreadlocks but in the, it's only in the last year or so that he's decided to allow the dreadlocks to grow out so now the dreadlocks that he has are longer, and they're down around his shoulders, if you can picture this. Well, once, once they got longer, what he started doing is he started bundling them up. You know, he'd, like, take a rubber band, and he'd, he, you know, he'd bundle them up, wear them kind of like in a bun or something, or wear them, you know, on the top of his head, different styles, so they didn't hang below his collar. But it was only because, again, he had them in the band that was holding them up. All right, he did that for a while. The school district has now told him that his hairstyle is not, it's not the hairstyle, the hair length is not in compliance with these rules. The rules are really clear. You can't have hair below your collar and you can't just like pin it up to get around this. So what they're saying is you've got to cut your dreads. You know, you, you have to cut them so that it's not the hairstyle that we have an issue with, but it's the hair length. This is our rule. We've had this rule. Yeah, we, we let you kind of get away with pinning it up for a little while, but it's in violation of the rules, and now we want you to follow them. And what the school is saying is that a- until you do that, you're going to be subject to an in-school suspension, and you're, you're not going to be allowed to participate in graduation. Well, the the mom and the child have now gone very, very public with this. If you were watching Good Morning America today, you, you might have seen this story. And they're talking about how they believe that this is, discriminatory. This is one of these issues with regard to a discriminatory sort of policy because, again, the kid is from Trinidad and this is, again, it's one of the hairstyles. It's this natural hairstyle that, you know, if you're from Trinidad, this is how people wear their hair. All right, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunet Mortgage talk and text line. The rule says, You can't wear the hair below the collar and it doesn't make any difference if you if you bundle it up or not you look at the hair length the young man's hair is below the collar and so the school is now saying you've got to conform the kid and his mother are saying look this rule makes no sense at all it is discriminatory towards us because of this kind of natural hairstyle and again it it makes no sense so 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you how I come down on this in a little while, but what do you think? Is this a rule that unfairly discriminates against somebody based on his nationality? Again, he's from Trinidad. This, it is a school that is a predominantly white school district, an overwhelmingly white school district. And here you have a person of color who's saying, hey, this is this natural hairstyle. Does a rule like this even make sense in 2020? Why should we care about how long the kid's hair is, especially if the kid is going to pin it up? So. Should he be required to cut his hair? 855-616-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. The child and the mom say, unless the school changes its policies, they're prepared to sue in federal court, alleging that the kid is being discriminated against. Is this rule unfair? Does it make sense? Should they change it? What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner
0: on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so the kids that senior in... Senior in high school. The high school has this rule that says you can't have hair that comes down over your collar. He is a, a, the the kid is, he wears one of these, what's called natural hairstyles. It's the dreadlocks. He's from Trinidad. And he's always had them shorter. He started to let them grow out. Now they come down over his collar. So they're too long for they're too long for the, the rule. He's been wearing it all bunched up. You know, he's been wearing it with like a pinned up and all. Um, but now the school says that's not good enough. What you have to do is you have to cut this. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate mortgage talk and text line. I understand that you have the rule. I, I get the fact that you've got the rule. And as long as you apply the rule across the board, so that you're not singling out one particular person, I I, I think it probably the rule is constitutional. Okay, I, I understand that, but I have to tell you, in 2020, I think it is a dumb rule, and I think it also doesn't take into account. issues when you do have uh, you know difference with with ethnicity because the, these natural hairstyles are are common that's out there. I think that by saying to the kid look as long as you pin it up, you know, I, I think that that that's fine. If they don't want the long hair, whatever, that's fine. But as long as the kid pins it up, it seems to me that that should be good enough. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I mean, what are we really accomplishing by this rule? Does the school have the right to follow the rule? Yes. If they are sued, will they be able to defend the rule? I, I probably. That that's kind of my sense on it. But does the rule make sense as it is applied? Do schools have a right to have dress codes? Of course. Do you want kids going to school in their underwear? No, you don't. But in this particular situation, when you're talking about a hairstyle, as long as the kid pins it up, shouldn't that be sufficient? Is it appropriate to make him have to cut his hair? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Steve in Green Bay. Hi, Steve. Hey how are you very well thank you what do you think
2: uh as long as the rules applied across the board i don't see a problem with it I went to a Catholic high school we had requirements on how long our hair could be and facial right. hair and dress and everything else and Right. You know, if you like the words here that way, back to Trinidad.
1: Well, how about. But this is a public school. You said you went to a Catholic. You went to a parochial school. So that's a private yep. school. You know, the private schools, you know, they. You, you didn't have to go there. This is a public school. Should the public school have a rule like this?
2: I think if that's what the school board wants and it past, it's very appropriate.
1: Okay. Tell me why. Why do you. Th- I, explain the, to me what you think the purpose of the rule is. I mean, I and I understand the rules are rules, and I, I agree. They have a right to have a dress code. But what difference does it make if the kid's got dreadlocks and as long as he has them pinned up? What,
2: what difference does it make? I think it's what the school accepts. I mean, that's, to me, you know, if they want everybody to be clean cut, that's appropriate.
1: Okay, well, thanks for call. I mean, I guess I... I, I see that that's the the underlying, and I, I understand the rules or rules arguments. And I I'm one of these people who has over the years defended the rights of schools to have dress codes. I, I think you you have a right to have certain decorum. You have um, a right to say, okay, some of these uh, clothing choices are distracting. We don't want you coming in with a T-shirt that's got obscenities on it. You know, we don't want clothing styles that are displaying too much flesh. All that kind of stuff. I I get why you have dress codes. In this particular situation, though. I'm I'm trying to figure out, OK, what what is the purpose behind the the hair restriction, especially as, as long as you would say, OK, you, you got to pin it up. So it's not like he's necessarily got the dreadlocks that are halfway down his back. He, he pins it up. So it's over his collar. Do they have a right to have a rule? Yeah. Does the rule make sense? Jeremy, Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for
2: taking my call. Sure. I, I don't agree with the rule at all. It makes absolutely no sense. When I uh, went to high school, I had hair halfway down to my back. My sons has got hair way below their shoulders. It's just, it's just a style that they enjoyed, and I enjoyed when I was going to school. And it had absolutely nothing to do with my scholastics or my attendance or anything like that. Um, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me to have a rule like that with all the issues that are going on in the school systems as it is, just keeping kids in school, keeping them out of trouble, things like that. That right. is the least of your problems.
1: Well, I guess I—I I mean, can I? Could I think of a maybe a justification for why they don't want the guy wandering around with hair halfway down his back? Because they say, okay, this is distracting hairstyle. I, I, maybe I could understand it, but if he's pinning it up so it's off his collar, who—who who cares? And I, I guess I'm kind of with you on all the different issues that are out there. Seems to me that you'd have a lot more significant stuff to worry about when it comes to educating kids.
2: Right. One more thing, too. I mean, you see more children in high school walk around with cell phones in their face all the time. I think that is more of a pressing issue than, than somebody's long hair.
1: Right. Now, that, that, again, it's, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because, I mean, I'm, I I remember going to public schools in the 70s when the style was, you know, long, long hair. And there was all these discussions that back then, you know, how long can your hair be, etc. But for the public schools, to me, unless you can really document that it is a huge distraction. Now, private schools are different because, you know, you, you can make the choice. Your Private schools, they set down these rules and you can decide, hey, I, I don't want to send my kid there um, because I, I disagree with these rules. But as long as you're talking about public schools, I guess I think that there really needs to be some tie-in to behavior or to educational value or something like that. And let's cut through this and let's also be honest. While anybody can grow long hair, this is a style that you find more prevalent among, you know, in, in the minority population because of, in some cases, you know, differences in hairstyles and things like this. And some people are saying, well, what difference does it make that he's from Trinidad? Well, because this is a natural hairstyle that you find lots and lots of men that wear from Trinidad. So, I, I you know... He, I kind of understand the rule argument, but I go back to the bigger point of what is the purpose behind the rule and does the rule as applied make sense? And that's what I struggle with. Jeff, absolutely. This is 100 percent discrimination. It's his natural cultural hairstyle. He should be entitled to wear it. Are you going to get rid of all ethnic hairstyles um, we see and uh, let it allow in professional sports? They're on a world stage. Let them all be proud of their, you know, individual looks. Um Yeah. yeah. Why did the, here's a text. Why did the student decide not to comply with the hair length rule during his senior year? Sounds to me like the students' parents are looking for a lawsuit. Well, interestingly, he started letting his hair, the way I understand it, grow out like his sophomore and junior year. Then he started pinning it up, and that is technically in violation of the rules, but Nobody nobody made a big deal about it. Nobody called him on it until now. Um, okay, Jeff, if you break the rules of decorum, what's next? All right, um, should I be allowed to do whatever I want? Rules are there for a reason, and I get it. As I said earlier, I understand the whole rules are rules things, and I think school boards should have wide discretion in deciding what the rules are but when you have a particular rule that let's understand this it's going to be targeted mostly at a certain class group of people The question becomes, you know, should there be some justification for the rule? And like I say, I think if they get sued, my guess is the school board is going to probably be able to legally defend the rule because they say, hey, we apply this across the board. It's not just targeted at persons of color for whom this would be the natural hairstyle. We wouldn't allow... Um, some guy like you, Jeff, if you wanted to grow your hair below your shoulders and then pin it up, we wouldn't allow that. So I, I think as long as they apply it across the board, they're probably legally safe. I just raised the larger issue of, again, what what is the rule trying to accomplish? Do you really need to have the rule? Does the rule make sense? And that's, that's what I'm struggling with a lot. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with
1: us. Okay, like I said earlier, we've got an abbreviated program today. I only have until 130, and there's lots of ground that I want to cover. Let's launch right into the next topic and then we'll pick it up with your calls right after Melissa's news. Here here is the deal. I understand that we are moving towards a cashless society. More and more people use their credit cards exclusively for stuff. They don't carry cash. I'm kind of old school. I always carry cash. And I use cash for some things. More and more, though, because I want the points on my credit card. More and more, I'm starting to pay for stuff with credit cards. But I still buy things with cash from time to time as well. There are a number of stores across the country which have gone to the idea of no cash. And their justification for this is that they they don't want to take, uh, that, Processing cash transactions, they argue, takes longer than processing, you know, credit card transactions. That's what they argue. They argue that um, by taking cash and keeping cash on the premises, they might make their employees subject to robbery. All those different things, you know, that doesn't matter. But they make the decision that they're not going to take cash. There are places at Pfizer Forum. If you want to go buy certain products, you have to have a credit card. It's credit card only. They do not take cash. There's other places you can go to do that. New York City is in the process of passing an ordinance which would make it illegal for businesses to be cashless. In other words, the law would say to the merchant, you don't have the choice. You have to accept cash. In addition to credit cards, our number 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Look, I understand that there's a lot of people, including myself, who still like to use cash. I don't think the government, though, has the right or should be telling businesses that you have to take cash. If a business makes the choice that it wants to be credit only, credit cards only, I think the business should have the right to do it. Might not make sense. I mean, there's all sorts of arguments as to why. Why would you turn away business from the people who don't want to pay for credit cards or don't have credit cards? Nevertheless, I think it should be the business's choice, not the government telling them what they can and cannot do. What do you think? We discuss in just a
0: moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad
1: to have you with us. All right. Um, More and more businesses are, are finding that more and more of their business is done by credit cards. People don't carry cash anymore. At least some people don't carry cash. So, there's a number of businesses that have decided the hassle of dealing with cash just isn't worth it so they have policies where they say it's credit card only and they post them so the bottom line is if you don't have a credit card if they're running it's jeff's coffee shop and jeff's coffee shop decides it's not going to take cash that means that if you don't have a credit card you're not going to be able to buy stuff at jeff's coffee shop which means jeff's coffee shop is going to lose out on your business but that's a business decision that they make In New York, they are on the verge of joining a couple other cities, including like Philadelphia prominently, that make it illegal for businesses not to accept cash. Now, I take no position on whether it's a good business model or not. And to me, if I was a business person, I'd want to do everything I can to get customers into my business. um, And I don't care whether they're paying with credit card or, or cash, but I don't think it's the government's role To tell me as a business person that if I don't want to accept cash, I'm not allowed to do it. Just like I don't think it's the government's role to say, hey, Jeff, if you don't want to take checks, you don't want to accept personal checks, you don't have to. I mean, I think businesses should have the right to decide what they are going to take for payment. 855-616-1620. 855 616 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Let's start with James in New Berlin. James, you're first. Hello. Hey,
2: Jeff. Thanks I, for taking my call. Sure. Hey, the, uh, so I'm an accountant in the area. I work with a lot of businesses, a lot of industries that do take cash, hospitality industry, salon and spas, things like that. And honestly, like the comment that you said earlier about some of the businesses' defense is that. You know, the cash handling processing is actually more complicated and takes longer than credit cards. That's actually true. This is where I spend a lot of my time advising not only the business owners but also staff. On proper cash handling procedures. There's a lot of risk there for loss of cash. Who's accountable for the cash? It does expose the business, I guess, maybe to threat of robbery. I don't know how big of one. I don't know the statistics on that, but right. you could eliminate it by saying, I'm just not going to accept cash. You know? Um, right. But as an accountant, when we focus on profits and revenue and things like that, I mean, I think it's a bad business model to say no to cash. It's probably at least 20 to 30% of most people's revenue still today. Right,
1: right. And, and that's why, I mean, I agree with you. I, and you're talking to somebody who, who likes to pay on certain occasions for things with cash. So that would make, quite honestly, if I knew I had to pull out my credit card, that might make me less likely to patronize a particular business. So I question why you would do it, but for whatever reason, if they want to do it, I don't, I, I just, I have problem with the government saying that they can't do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think there was
1: a comment. Okay. Go, no, go ahead. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess, and, okay, 855 616 1620. That's the AccUnit Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't a business have a right to, to do that? If the business makes the decision that for whatever reasons, we just want to go credit card only, why should the government? be telling them that they can't. And, and I understand that people, I'm getting a number of people are texting saying, well, you know, cash is, is legal tender. Well, yeah, cash is legal tender, but that doesn't mean that you have to accept it. I mean, yes, yes, that that is correct. But a merchant still, as a general rule, has a right to decide, you know, what they're going to accept and what they're not going to accept. I mean, you have, for example, cash is legal tender. You have merchants often that will say, we don't accept bills larger than twenty dollars. So does that mean if I walk into you know the the Burger Doodle and they've got the sign saying we don't accept bills larger than twenty dollars and I've got a fifty that they have to accept it? I mean and the, and the answer is is no. Businesses still have the right, even though cash is of course legal tender. Businesses, as a general rule, under the law, unless there's something, some new law, they have a right to decide, you know, what it is that they are going to accept in payment. Business has a right to say, okay, we're not going to accept checks. We're not going to accept bills larger than 20 bucks. This is the logical extension of it. It's not a policy that I find to be particularly appealing, but. Don't they have a right to do it, um, Jeff? You look at the grocery store at Woodman's. They don't take credit cards. They are cash, check, and debit only. Well, right, that's the flip side of that, and I'm sure you know they they lose some business because of that. Isn't um, ah, gosh, Costco? I mean, I mean, I always, I always interestingly I have a Costco credit card, or my wife has a Costco credit card that we'll we'll use when we go there. Um, but isn't there it's only their credit card or um or cash in that particular. You know, case. Um, let's see, Jeff. I'm sure you and your wife have been. And they, they, he lists a particular restaurant in West Bend. Their policy is cash only. How different is that? Well, right. There, there are businesses that say they don't. They don't take credit cards because the, the problem with taking credit cards, of course, is that you have to you have to pay a fee to the credit card company. Every time that that transaction is, is take takes place, so I mean I get it. You have a lot of merchants who might say, "Hey, per- particularly given the fact that we have to pay a certain percentage of the, the transaction cost to Master Charge or to Visa or to American Express or whatever, um, we don't want to do that. We don't want to accept credit card purchases for you know." purchases below a certain amount because our margins are so low. I I think they have every right to say, okay, we're we're not going to accept credit cards. But I think the flip side is true as well. I hate to see this policy come into place, but I also don't think it's the business of government to tell a merchant that, you know, you have to do something like this. My argument would be let the market take over because the reality is if you run Jeff's coffee shop and you say, I'm not going to take Um, I'm not going to take cash. And there's enough people that either don't have credit cards or don't like that policy. Well, what's going to happen is people are going to go across the street to Gru's Coffee Shop, and Gru's Coffee Shop is going to take cash, and then they're going to patronize that. That's the way I think we deal with these things in a free society. You you have competition. You let the market decide. And if enough people – stop going to Jeff's coffee shop because they want to pay cash for their coffee, well, pretty soon Jeff's coffee shop is either going to go out of business or they're going to change their policy, but you don't need the government getting involved. This is Jeff
0: Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: This is an extremely interesting story that's not getting much, if any, attention because of the, the impeachment Drama, and drama is probably overstating this, but all the impeachment coverage, because if you turn on the television nowadays on, on any of the main new cable news channels or or the main channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, you're, you're going to see coverage of, of the impeachment. And interestingly, the way the rules are set up is th- there's not multiple camera angle, angles. Everybody is covering the thing the same way. You've got the same camera feed, the same sound. Um, there's really... It's no difference watching it on Fox News, watching it on CNN, watching it on um, NBC. It's, it's all the same. But this is sucking the oxygen out of other things that are going on. And there actually was a pretty big development in Washington today. A President Trump who, for most of his life, would be, I think, fairly described as pro-choice um, President Trump, when he ran for office in 2016, made a, a very conscious effort to court the, the right to life vote. And since his election, he has continued to push for restrictions on, on the right to abortion. He became today the first president to speak in person at the March for Life rally. The March for Life rally is an annual gathering. Uh, and this year, I, I think it drew about a, 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 crowd estimates are tough. My guess is it drew about a, a, the reports I'm seeing, probably about a hundred thousand people. Very substantial, substantial group. Um, they, they meet at the mall in Washington and the march goes to the Supreme Court and it's designed to protest Roe versus Wade. This is the 47th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which said that there is a, a constitutional right to an abortion. So anyhow, um, other presidents who have been pro-life have sent messages of support. They've sent people from their administration to address the group. President Trump today at about uh, like 1130 um, our time became the first sitting president to actually address the attendees. So he showed up at the mall. He gave a, a speech to the crowd and then the, the, the march charted, uh, started. Interesting to me because this, of course, and, and look, I'm, I'm not naive. I understand that the issue of, of abortion is always, it's always out there in American politics, and there are voters on both sides of the aisle who are single-issue voters, and this is one of those single issues. There there are people I know who are pro-abortion or pro-choice, whatever you want to call that, who vote pretty much exclusively on that. There are people on the other side who are pro-life, anti-abortion. They vote on that particular issue. So th- this is an issue that even though with developments in medical science, it's not on the forefront. In other words, you don't have as many like abortion clinics that are there and people protesting outside of those as maybe you did a long while ago. Unquestionably, this is an issue that still is very significant in American politics. And the fact that you have President Trump, who has now made the decision that he's just going to jump headfirst into this by addressing this group, it, it tells you, that this is going to be uh, again, it's going to be a huge issue moving forward in the 2020 election. The reports I've gotten about the uh, the marches, he was. He he was greeted very very warmly with this. Clearly, over the course of the last couple of years, um, President Trump has, through his administration, you know, uh, done a number of anti-abortion initiatives. Uh, again, Roe v.ersus Wade says there's a constitutional right to an abortion. So until and unless that's reversed, that's going to be the law. But there are on the edges whether it's. Um, juveniles getting abortions or things like that, there are different restrictions that can be put into place. So in any event, one of the big news developments of the day that's completely been overshadowed, blown off all the TV coverage because of impeachment, is President Trump um, addressing the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C., bringing the issue of abortion front and center into the 2020 political campaign. This is Jeff Wagner, back with more in just a minute.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon,
1: Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. Coverage of the Milwaukee Bucks playing the Charlotte Hornets starts in about a half hour. They are, by the way, in France. How cool is that? All right, here here is the deal. In Wisconsin... By law, you have to have a, a balanced budget. You can't be like the federal government and, and run huge deficits. In Wisconsin, we also have this thing called the Rainy Day Fund, which is it's kind of like a piggyback, piggy bank, you know, break for emergencies. That that type of thing. All right. The the rainy day fund has up until recently uh, about 320 million dollars in it okay which sounds like a lot of money but compared to some other states not necessarily right so here is the deal every year as they're balancing the budget going through the budget process what happens is every two years in the budget cycle they estimate okay how much money are we going to be taking in you know what is our revenue going to be and they make estimates as it turns out, it looks like Wisconsin has collected from those of us who are taxpayers, we've condu- we will collect about $818 million more than was budgeted for. And that's because of whatever, aggressive tax collections, whatever. In any event, there's going to be $818 million more this budget cycle coming into state coffers than they planned. Now, the law says that when it comes to this money, here's what happens. When you collect more money than you're supposed to collect, you take half of it. So this would be a little over $400 million. You take half of it and you put it into the rainy day fund, follow me. So depending on how you calculate this, it looks like we're going to have an extra $400 million to put into this rainy day fund for emergencies, right? That will leave, oh, approximately another $400 million, another $400 million that has been collected over what was budgeted. And here's where it gets interesting because the question becomes, What do we do with it? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. There's really a couple variations. You can take this money that's come in over budget. We've collected more than we anticipated. And you can do really, I guess there's three choices. One, you can spend it. You can say, okay, we, we've got this extra money, we, we've got these other needs, let let's spend this four hundred million dollars on stuff. You can give it back. The idea being, hey, we're supposed to have a balanced budget. We collected more than we need. Well, the only fair thing to do is to give it back to the taxpayers, the people who paid it paid it in the form of property relief or a re- property tax relief or a rebate or whatever. So you can spend it. You can give it back, or I guess the third option would be you can spend some of it and give some of it back. You can kind of split the baby. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. 1620 that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer to this is pretty clear. I think you give it back. I mean, to me, it's this giant slush fund that's out there. The taxpayers paid into it. We have paid more than the government anticipated, and I think the only right thing to do is that you give it back to the people who paid it. To me, it's a similar sort of thing, um, like let's say you're – You're paying estimated state taxes or estimated federal taxes. You estimate what your tax bill is going to be because of your income. So every quarter you send in, let's say you send in 2500 bucks to the state of Wisconsin because you anticipate that your tax thing is going to be $10,000. Well, it turns out when you end up doing your taxes, it's not $10,000. You actually only owe $9,000. Well, you don't say to the state, hey, keep that extra $1,000 that I overpaid. You say to the state, give me my money back isn't that what we should do with this and I understand that there's needs that are out there you can always find compelling programs but the bottom line is we funded programs through the budget process and now that there's more money left I think you give that money back to the people who paid it 855-616-1620 that's the academic mortgage talk and text line what should we do with the surplus how do you how do you take care of the 400 million do you give it back Or do you spend it on other stuff? I say you give it back to the people who paid it. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. It looks like after kicking about $400 million into the state's rainy day emergency fund, there's going to be somewhere north of $400 million that's going to be left. This is money that was collected over and above the budgeted amount. Some people want to spend it. I say we give it back to the people who paid it in the first place. And my best analogy would be, again, if you're paying, I don't know, let, let's, say you're, let's say you're having money escrowed every month to pay your property taxes. You have $500 a month extra taken out of your mortgage payment. That leaves you, so you paid, by the end of the year, you paid 6000 bucks into it. Turns out your property taxes are only 5500 Well, you don't expect the bank to to keep the $500, you don't say to the bank, oh, well, that's okay, we've collected more, just go ahead and send that $6,000 to the municipality and let them have it. No, they give you back the extra $500, don't they? 855-616-1620. Steve in Waukesha. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Yeah. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I'm with you. I say we give the money back to the taxpayers. Uh, if I get that money back, more than likely, and I think a lot of us, We'll put that back into the economy which yeah. again could create jobs and additional
1: revenue. Right, and and I look and you got to understand Steve, I'm not arguing that, that you might not find worthwhile programs to spend the money on, but we that's why we have a budget. The budget said, okay, th- during this cycle, this is how much money we're going to spend on this or that or the other thing, and that's how we're going to tax people based on that. The fact that, you know, we've got more money doesn't mean it's just a gift that the rest of us gave the government spend it how you want. That's not the way it works. Uh, 100%. 100%. No, thanks. And you're right. I mean, people will, you know, take that money and in all likelihood they will invest that money or that by invest it, I mean they're going to put it in the economy. They're, They're going to spend it. And I guess I believe at its heart that you know how to spend your money better than the government does. And this isn't saying, look, I'm not one of these anti tax guys. I mean, I, I, people have to pay their taxes and in this case people did pay their taxes and because of whether it's increased sales or whatever state tax collections exceed the amount that was predicted and exceeds the amount that was budgeted so now what we're talking about is just this fundamental issue of what do you do with the extra money after you've taken half of it put it in the rainy day fund I don't have a problem with that makes sense to me to have a rainy day fund in case of emergency but to spend And the rest of it, I think, would be, you know, immoral, just absolutely immoral. Um, Let's go. Now, a number of people are saying, Jeff, we've got problems, lead pipes and potholes. You know, spend it and, and then anything left can, can be given back. Jeff, fix the damn roads, tired of new taxes that are meant for road repairs and it never gets done. Well, um, you know, don't get me wrong. It, it'll be easy. I mean, it's really easy to, to blow through $400 million and, and you could spend it and you can say, okay, well, we need to build some interchanges and we want to do this and, and this is a wonderful cause. I mean, you can justify any of that. But the bottom line of this was, okay, in the budget itself, Right. This is how much money we committed to spending. We've gotten more money than we've committed. It's not just to me this windfall. All right. Here's a couple other texts. Jeff, give it back. Um, I won't waste it like the government will. Well, okay. Um, I, you know, Jeff, give it back. Um, another people saying fix the roads. Well, okay. I, I get that we need to have roads fixed. And if you want to have that argument about how much we should spend on infrastructure, that, that's, that's okay. You know, That's the argument to have next time around. We've already dramatically increased the amount of money that we're putting into fixing the roads. That was a part of the last budget. Just because you've collected more money than you need, though, doesn't mean that it's a windfall for the politicians to figure out how they should be able to spend it. Give
0: it back. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: You know, I've, I've been watching all this, these stories about the coronavirus, the, this really, really scary virus that started in a province in China and now appears to be spreading worldwide. And the Chinese government is moving in. Some would say it's moving in belatedly. But what they're doing is they're essentially quarantining people. They're not allowing anybody to travel outside of this province and they're not allowing people to travel in like, like folks would do that. I mean, can you imagine if you had a, if you had a trip scheduled to China now? I mean, I I don't know about you, but if if that were me, it would kind of be even if it first of all, if it was a, a pleasure trip, no way. And if it was a business trip, it would be, gee, boss, maybe this is one where, you know, let's at least for the time being, why don't we do this via video conference or Skype or something like that as opposed to going directly. But it's very, very scary. But one of the interesting things is if you watch the coverage of this, you see all these people walking around with these surgical masks in public. And maybe, you know, you've been to like an airport or something and you've seen people with surgical masks. And one of the questions that I had was, does this really do anything? And I was just generally curious. I mean, is is this just one of these sort of prophylactic things that 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 maybe it looks good but it really doesn't make any difference at all. And interestingly enough, the New York Times has a piece on this. Uh the question is do surgical masks really work? Many people in China and many travelers wear them, and the answer is well, maybe but probably not likely, especially outside the healthcare setting. Cuz here's the deal. Most of the the surgical masks that people wear are are cheap. You know, the, the ones that you, you buy publicly, it's it's not like necessarily the ones that people are wearing, the doctors and nurses are wearing the operating room, that they, they, they tend to be cheap. They tend not to fit that well. So if they've got gaps or whatever, they're, they're going to allow airborne particles to, to get in. So it's not like, again, most Most of these surgical masks that people are buying, it's not like the same ones that the surgeon is going to wear. Also, um, you know, one of the things that happens is the the idea of the mask is it's going to it's designed to try to prevent, um, try to prevent like the germs from getting inside. Well, okay, let's imagine that you're walking through the airport and you've got the mask on and all of a sudden your chin starts to itch. So what do you do? You kind of pull the mask out and you kind of scratch your, your, your chin with your finger. All right, okay, you have just completely and totally defeated the purpose of the mask. Now, I'm not arguing that people, you know, shouldn't wear masks or anything like that. I am saying though that if anybody out there thinks, okay, this is going to be the be-all end-all, this is going to be the guarantee that I'm not going to pick this up, well, it doesn't appear necessarily to be the case. What they say actually is you need constant hand washing. It's all the same things we hear about the flu and stuff like that. You need to, you know, make sure what you touch, wash your hands a lot and things like that. Wearing a mask, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it's certainly not the be-all, end-all. And uh, It's just, again, it's a scary sort of thing, I think, for people who have been to China recently. Man, how scary could that be? All right, one final note before we turn it over to our Bucks coverage. This is a story that I've been talking about all week, admittedly because I'm fascinated by this idea that. the two people who want to be the Milwaukee County executive are, are making this argument that the law should not apply to us. By now, you know the story two Milwaukee County executive candidates. This would be former state Senator Jim Sullivan, Glendale mayor, Brian Kennedy. They were bounced from the ballot, the County executive ballot, because they didn't turn in enough valid signatures. They outsourced the process of getting nominating papers. They hired this third party, the third party, Um, hired a couple people to go out and circulate these things. Well, the state law says, all right, you're only allowed to to circulate nominating papers for one candidate. And if you do it for multiple candidates, the only one that counts is the one for the first candidate. So what happened was, Brian Kennedy and Jim Sullivan, they turned in all these nominating names, these these names that had been circulated by somebody who wasn't legally entitled to do it, and the Elections Commission struck the names. They they followed the law. The law is crystal clear that if you turn in names that the same circulator circulates multiple petitions, first petition is good, the other ones aren't. The law could not be more clear. So then they started to argue, well, the law shouldn't apply to us or it's discretionary. You know, nuts to that. State Elections Board said, look, th- this is real clear. The law says y- y- you can't be on the ballot. So, Elections Commission ordered them taken off the ballot. There was a hearing in circuit court today, and they're arguing the same thing. Oh, this law is discretionary and it's not our fault, and we didn't know, you know, we didn't know that we were turning in bad signatures. All of which. Well, we didn't know we were turning in bad signatures. Okay, that may be true, but it doesn't matter. The law says if you do this, the signatures aren't valid. A judge is going to decide later on today whether these two guys should be on the ballot. I don't have a horse in this particular race other than to say the law is the law and their name should come off. I'm out of time. Talk to you 12 noon on Monday. Milwaukee Bucks coverage coming up in just a few seconds. Have a great weekend. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.